Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. You've got your Bibles. Hopefully you're there. Uh, John, John chapter 15. And if you've got your bulletins, again, we, we covered verses 2 through 5 last week. And, and so the points are already there from last week. We're going we're gonna to pick it up in, in 6 uh, and go through verse 8 in just a moment. But we're talking about fruitfulness. Uh, listen, any, any given week uh, around the, the, the Brooks household, uh, Stephanie... Stephanie, my wife, will go to the grocery store and, and she will she will make uh, I mean, she'll buy groceries. But but the amount of produce that our crew goes through is it's a little ridiculous. Uh, I snapped this picture this morning. This is not even all of it. Right. Any given week, Steph will buy. Y'all know uh, any given week, Steph will buy at least one, usually two bags of apples, a bag of pears, uh, a bag of oranges, a bunch of bananas. There'll be some ca- uh, canisters of strawberries. Uh, there will be, a, you know, a canister of blueberries, raspberries. If we're feeling crazy, maybe some blackberries. I don't know. Uh, and, and and what's not listed is also like the two bunches of grapes uh, that I forgot to get out of the refriger- refrigerator this morning. And, and, and so that that's like just that's just the regular uh, fruit uh, fruit run. And, and so when you have Five kids, four like ravenous, like fruit-eating boys um, with bottomless pits. You you go you go through a lot of fruit. Uh, Titus, the ten-year-old, is the chief culprit. Okay, uh, but inevitably by by Thursday or Friday, uh, that's gone. <laughs> like it is it is gone in about five, maybe six days. It's like a fruit desert wasteland around our house. You open up the refrigerator uh, and, and, and it's gone. And, and, and you, better, you better believe it. Like Stephanie and I, we're going uh, to hear about it. We're going to hear from the boys. Uh, the boys are going to let us know uh, when the fruit is missing. All of them are going to let us know, and they're probably going to blame Titus, but they're going to let us know that the fruit is missing. Church family, as, as, as we opened up last week, I mentioned that one of the chief issues today is that many Christians, they don't, they don't even realize or maybe they don't even care that the fruit is missing. Don't even realize or maybe don't care that the fruit is missing. No, no, one, no one is sounding the alarm bell uh, like we are. We're trying to normalize a church where the fruit of Christ likeness and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is somehow now elective. Like, no, actually, um, I'm going to pass on the character of Christ. No, thanks. Doesn't really work for me. We act like it's okay. We said this last week. We act like it's okay uh, to, that, that the fruit of biblical obedience in, in, a, in a deep, thriving relationship with Jesus is somehow optional. But Christian, we said this last week, we can't settle. Amen? We cannot settle. 
Last week, we noted in verse three that Jesus, Jesus, he, he calls his followers clean. Amen. Christ called his followers clean. We just need to live in light of that reality. We talked about how we we need to crucify the self-reliance and we need to come into this understanding, Christian, that Christ, he is present, not just with you, but in you right now. Amen. This morning, we're, we're going to look at three more reminders for the Christian that will act as a catalyst uh, for gospel fruitfulness. These reminders are going to act as a catalyst for gospel fruitfulness. And so uh, I, I want to dive right in and look at I'm going to read verse six again. It's, Jesus said this. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burn. Here's the f- first point this morning. You ready? Christian. You're not going to hell. (laughs) You're not going to hell. I know what you're thinking. Uh, You're thinking, what a heartwarming uh, uh, point to start with. Amen. Right. What a what a heart heart. Are you are you getting the warm fuzzies right now? I hope is that it's not happening. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell him not going. (laughs) Look at your other neighbor. Tell him not going. so, so you may be thinking, like, what in the world does this point have to do with fruitfulness? That's a great question. We're going to unpack that. When, church family, when I, was a, when I was a youth pastor many, many moons ago, uh, we, would, we would hold these fifth, quarter, these fifth quarter student ministry events at our church, and we would, we would host a couple hundred students uh, after football games, and we would have food, we would have games, we would have door prizes, but we would also have a gospel message uh, for these students, for these teenagers. Uh, but but these, were, these were ecumenical events, just meaning that there were several of the churches, several of the youth pastors around town that, that we would get together, we would plan these, we would organize these, and ultimately we would execute the event. Uh, and, and, and there was a there was a, a youth pastor buddy of mine in town at another church and, and part of part of their doctrinal belief set uh, was that they did not hold to what's called the security of the believer. They did not believe uh, once saved, always saved. And I remember talking to my friend one time. Uh, and he just said, yeah, I believe that you can ask the Holy Spirit to come uh, and, and, and the Holy Spirit can also go too." Uh, and I, OK, I'm not I'm not not really tracking with that, but OK. But inevitably, we would be hosting this these fifth quarter events. And there was at least two or three occasions where I would get up and preach the gospel and there would be students who would respond and they would they would walk down the, the aisle and say, yes. Like, I want to follow Jesus. I, I want to trust Jesus. They would raise their hands if they wanted to be saved. And they would start talking to some of the adult volunteers. And we'd, and we'd hear things like, yeah, this is, uh, this is my seventh time to get saved. Praise God. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, trusted, I trusted Jesus at camp last year. But you know what? I, I, I want to get saved again. I, I, I want to. I want to commit again. And, and, and church, church fam, here was the effective result. These students had no foundation for discipleship and growth because they had no firm foundation for salvation. Let me say that again. 
These students had no firm foundation for discipleship and growth because they had no firm foundation of salvation. Listen, I understand. Like, I, I, I understand that there are, there are some hard passages in Scripture. You look at passages like Galatians 5.4. You look at some of the, the what, what's called the warning passages of Hebrews. I, I remember being at a church in Houston, and the pastor preached through all of Hebrews and skipped every single warning passage. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right. I'm not sure how that works. So I, I get it. There, there, are, there are some passages that you remove from the context of the whole of the New Testament and the New Testament teaching on justification. The, like these can be confusing verses. And what I'll say, admittedly, is that John 15, 6 is one of those passages. It has sort of like this like jolting effect where you read it and you're going, okay, branches like thrown away. Man, branches withering, gathered, thrown into the fire and, and burned. And many will come to the conclusion, albeit I believe wrongly, that this is talking about hell. That it's talking about eternal punishment. I mean, you're going, man, well, it says, it says fire. But church, if we stay rooted in the context, we have to remember Hear me, G Jesus is using a metaphor. Jesus is using a metaphor. He, he's using a picture from horticultural life. And so as you, you look at these words in the Greek, this word for throw away is the word balo, to throw or to cast. You look at the Greek word for burn, it's this Greek word kaio, and it's, uh, it, it's this, this word for meaning to burn, to ignite, or to kindle. And, and the, the picture is one of a gardener. The picture is one of, of a gardener taking withered and dried up branches and removing them from the vine because they are no longer fruitful. So that, that's, the, that's the metaphor. Warren Wearsby, uh, many years ago, he, he said it like this. Wearsby says it like this. Just as an unfruitful branch is useless, so an unfruitful believer is useless. And both must be dealt with. Ouch. Break it to us a little gentler, Warren. <laughs> he goes on to say, and this is important. Warren Wiersbe says, if anything, John 15, 6, it describes divine discipline rather than eternal de uh, destiny. Let me say that again. It, it describes, Wiersbe says, it describes divine discipline rather than eternal destiny. See, 1 John, 15, 1 John 5, 16, it, it, it provides this sobering reminder that even for believers, John talks about there, there's this sin that, uh, that leads to death, not, not eternal death, but physical death. Tony Evans, I love the way Tony, Dr. Evans says it. He says this, in talking about verse 6, Evans says, if you, if you disconnect, Christian, if you disconnect from the vine for too long, don't be surprised to find yourself experiencing divine discipline, getting burned, and seeing your spiritual life withering. So John 15, 6, listen, church, it's, can we just, I mean, it's pretty serious stuff. Amen? Can we say amen? It's pretty serious stuff, but you're not going to hell, Christian. Amen? Can I get an amen on that? Anybody excited about that? Pretty excited. 
let, let me let me let me just let, let let some scripture wash over you. This is this is Christian John 10, 28, 29. Jesus said, said this. I give them eternal life, Jesus said, and they they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Can we say amen? amen. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. Jesus said in him, in, in, or, or Paul said in him, talking about Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. Hebrews 7.25, the author of Hebrews said, consequently, God is able. He is able to save to the uttermost those who would draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Philippians 1 6, Paul said, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work will what? He's going to complete it. He's going to bring it to completion, Paul said, at the day of Christ Jesus. And then one of my favorites, and some of us need to hear this, Romans 8 1, Paul said, There is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can we say amen? The context. The context has already been established. You go back to verse 3, and Jesus, Jesus had already told his disciples, you are already clean. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So Christian, when, when Jesus speaks that definitive word, we talked about this last week, it's done. Amen? It's done. The context the context is Jesus is speaking to those whose sins have been forgiven. Those, those who are in Christ because of their belief in the word of the gospel. Man, they believe that Christ has been crucified for their sin. He's been raised. That it's about not about their righteousness. It's about his righteousness in their place before the Father. So Jesus is addressing his followers. And so the context here is about kingdom usefulness. It's about kingdom usefulness. The context is about when believers are removed from God's agenda and God's plan. It's about Christians not settling for being useless and, uh, or, or unfruitful when it comes to, check this out, their unique gospel mission and calling. And it's about connecting the dots on Ephesians 2.8 and 2.10. So we, we all love 2.8. By grace, you've been saved through faith. Amen. Like we love that. But we leave off 210 that says for you, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's about this this king Christian. It's about this kingdom fruit, this kingdom fruitfulness that God has for you. It's connected to the same grace that saves you. It's the grace that sets you apart. And so it's about dialing in, Christian, to God's will for your life. If you are, if you are, and understand, if you are willingly, willingly unfruitful and disobedient, it's understanding that God has every right to discipline and also to decide what to do with the branches, his branches, even even at times if it means calling us home. 
And that's a, that's a scary place to be. That, that's a sobering place to be when a Christian's presence on this earth is so distracting and so detracting from God's kingdom agenda and his mission that God would say, yes, you're mine. Absolutely, you're mine. But you would be more useful in my presence in heaven than you would be in fulfilling my mission on the earth. But rest assured, as D.L. Moody D.L. Moody once said, in all of nature, in all of nature, there is no such thing as a branch that was never connected to the vine. Amen? There's no such thing as a branch that was never connected to the vine. So Christian, uh, your, your eternity is not in question. What is in question is your fruit. Second thing this morning, as you look at verse 7, it says this. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Second point this morning is, is this, Christian, if you're in the word, ask big. If you're in the word, ask big. I want you to look at your neighbor, tell him, ask big. <laughs> look, look at your other neighbor, tell him, ask big. So, so one of the, like, we're still, uh, the Brooks fam, we're still, like, in Disney, like, Disney, like, zone, right? We've got four to 13, uh, and, and so one of the favorites in the Brooks household is, is the Disney movie Aladdin, right? And so we like, we like the, the modernized, like, the real-life version with Will Smith. That's good, but, but, man, there's no replacing all the little ad-libs of Robin Williams, like as an adult, you go back and you're like, oh, that's what he was doing there, right? Uh, and, and, and so church, let me just say this. Verse 7 is not your Aladdin like blue genie moment, okay? It's just, that's not it. Verse 7 can be another one of those passages, those verses that Christians take out of context. Like I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that there have been plenty of preachers who take the second half of verse seven and they're like, ask whatever you wish. Blank check, baby. Right. It's like, let's get restoration Hummer. Let's go. OK, um, uh, I'm pretty sure it's it's you know, this is the, the spot that guys like called Creflo dollars like looking at this going right there. There's my proof text. Sixty five million dollar jet. Let's go, okay? But once again, context, church, context is king. Context is, is king. This whole passage is about abiding in Christ, amen? The whole passage is about abiding in Christ. Remember our definition of abide. It's this Greek word meno, M-E-N-O, means to remain, to stay, or to reside. And the sense is to continue in a certain state, uh, condition, or activity. So this passage, again, is written to those who have been cleansed by the gospel. It's about those, it's written to those who understand their identity in Christ and who, check this out, they live and they pray accordingly. They live and they pray accordingly. One commentator said it like, says it like this. There is a direct connection between how one prays and the primary commitments of one's life. When all this happens, praying ceases to be selfish asking and becomes aligned with the will and purposes of God in Christ. D.A. Carson, D.A. Carson states, uh, he says it like this. As 
as the word, check this out, as the word shapes our desires and the spirit forms us from the inside out, we will begin to pray for those things that God cares about. Carson says, if you aren't seeing answered prayer, are you praying? And if you're praying, is your prayer shaped by scripture? Is it shaped by the word of God? It, is your praying a ritual, right? Is it just rote or is it the overflow of God's life flowing in and through you? So you say, well, what, what, is, what does this mean for the Christian? It means, it means you can ask big, amen? It means you can absolutely... Some of us, it's like Jesus said, our faith is just too small. Like we don't, we, we just don't believe. And so we can ask big. And so, I, and let me just say this. Listen, there is nothing inherently wrong with making great money, right? There's nothing wrong, students, with working hard to get into that grad school or to get into that uh, career of your choice. Like it's good to be excellent. Amen. Like we, we, the Christian community, we, we need that reminder. It's good to be excellent. It's good to work hard. That's what Paul talks about in Colossians 3.23. It's good to be driven and to go after big things. But, but listen, ultimately, the call is to connect all those things to the big mission to which God has called you. And if you're not connecting your stuff and if you're not connecting your agenda and your ambition and your resources uh, and your life to the desires of God and the kingdom of God, Christian, you're missing it. You're absolutely missing it. And so the call, the call is to allow God's word to, to, to direct your prayers, to allow God's word to to direct your path, to allow God's word to direct your, your passion. And, and listen, church, fam, when, when, we, when we get to that place, when we get to that place in, 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 of your will being surrendered to Jesus, Scripture is clear. Ask big. Ask big. I, I, I looked it up this week. Uh, that, that word, anything in the Greek, like this is super deep. It, it, you can write it down. It actually means anything. Right? <laughs> anything but but it's not a it's not a blank check it's kingdom currency it's not a blank check it's kingdom currency to do exactly what god has called you to do on this earth for his glory third thing this morning is this look at verse 8 jesus said by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Third point is this, Christian, prove it. Christian, prove it. Don't you look at your neighbor and tell him, prove it. <laughs> look at your other neighbor and tell him, prove it. In the Greek, that word prove is, is this word genomai. And, and, and genomai means uh, to, to be or to become. In the sense of the word in the Greek is to enter or to assume, ready, a certain state or condition. And if that sounds familiar, it goes right back to abiding. It takes us back to what it is to abide. And so listen, the, the proof of abiding in Christ becomes uh, that, that his life 
And his character are on display, Christian, both in you and through you. And Jesus, so Jesus had already said as much in John 13. If you go back to John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. And so Christian, the proof, the proof is found in the sacrificial love of Jesus that is on display in your life. It's found in pouring yourself out for the sake of others, but not just for their sake. It's for the sake of others knowing and experiencing his grace and the glory and the power of Jesus. And see, now, now, now Jesus says to you, hey, prove it. Prove it. I, as, a, as a kid, I, I remember sitting in, in, in Sunday school settings and, and, and like maybe Wednesday night uh, youth group settings. And, and more than once, I, I heard this illustration. And it was always said with like this real like serious, that somber tone. And the question would be asked, you know, room full of teenagers, hey, listen, if the, if the police found you and they arrested you for being a Christian, would there even be enough evidence to convict? And I guess as a kid, somebody thought that that would be like an impactful thing to say. <laughs> but it just planted in my mind there was, there was like a secret Christian police somewhere. Um, and like lurking behind the scenes, like ready to pounce if I acted the fool, you know. <laughs> so, but as that memory came back as a kid, here, here's what dawned on me. It dawned on me like as I, as I look around Christian culture and, 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 and just today, the overall character and kind of tone of the church, the vibe of God's people, how we speak. And, and how we how we engage with others, how we respond and how we interact on social. Uh, forget having the evidence to convict us as Christians. Like, I don't even know if like the American church would get profiled. Right? No, not Christian. That's where we are. Church, the main thing, the main thing is that we would love God and love others. Amen? It's the main thing. And, and, and you got to say it because it's where we are with the culture. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about the cheap love of the world that says you have to affirm and approve and accept everything, even sinful things. That, like, that's, that's a whole other conversation. Christian, quit, quit letting the culture and the media tell you what you have to love or, 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 how you, or how you have to love. Amen? Good night. <laughs> like we're talking about the self-giving, sacrificial, agape love of God that deeply desires the best for all people. But here's what that means. If Jesus, we've been talking about this, if Jesus is the source of our life, and if Jesus is the ultimate good, then the primary aim of our agape love is that others would know and experience, again, the grace and glory of Jesus and follow him. 
And so that, that means it's also a love that is willing to, to call out sin. Not because we're trying to be the sin police, but because, church, we know that, that a, a, we know full well that a life lived in sin, uh, apart from any kind of gospel belief in the Savior, in the work that Jesus has done, man, that life has one destination. That destination is turmoil in this life and torment in the next. Years ago, for King and Country, they, they, they wrote a song called The Proof of Your Love. And the chorus, the chorus just says this. It says, so let my life be proof. The proof of your love. Let my love look like you and what you're made of. How you lived, how you died. Love is sacrifice. So let my life be proof. The proof of your love. And church, listen, before, before we wrap up in a moment, I, I want to go back to an important word. It's, it's the word glory in verse 8. It's the word glorified. It says, by this, my Father is, is glorified. So this is, this is about how we exalt God. This, this is about how we honor Him. This is, this is about how we point to His goodness. This is a, about how we point to His mercy in the magnitude of, of who, who He is. More, more than lip service, uh, more than the songs that we sing on Sunday mornings or, or the songs that we sing midweek with our Christian peeps, more than music, more than all our, our religious practices, you, you glorify Jesus the most by internalizing and embodying biblical love. That is how you bring glory to Jesus again. Not the knockoff imitation that the culture is peddling as love, but the sacrificial love of Jesus. Now, I'll, I'll, close, I'll close with this this morning. This, this love was never more on display. Uh, it was never more demonstrated than when Jesus hung on a Roman cross for the sin of the world. Amen? Centuries before the time of Christ, Isaiah the prophet said this in Isaiah 53, 5, he said, talking about Jesus. He said, but he was pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by, by his wounds... By his wounds, we are healed. Church, Jesus did the work of salvation. Amen? Christ and Christ alone. And we, we, read, we read passages like John 15, and we, we read passages in Matthew about fruit and fruitfulness, and where our minds automatically go if we're not careful, we just assume, oh, this is just about human works. It's just about human works. And listen, and what I want to say to that is, listen, the Pharisees had all the works. The Pharisees had all the works. They, they prayed a lot. They prayed a lot. You know, often just making sure other people were watching them pray. They gave alms. They, they served. They, they fasted. They did many righteous deeds. And when Jesus showed up, they crucified him. 
So the fruit of the Christian must be the character of Christ in us. And check this out. And then as we move toward others, as you do your good works, as you serve others, there must be a confession from your lips of Christ crucified and raised in the only way of salvation. Amen? Christian, if you're, if you're giving yourself a, a, a pat on the back for all your good works, while you're giving your heart a free pass for being bitter and angry and unbelieving and ungracious, you need to check your fruit. And if you're, listen, Christian, if the fruit of your lips is being quick to regurgitate all the talking points from Fox News or NPR or Politico or CNN, and if your speech right now is all about what man needs to do and what my group is doing and what this party's not doing, and if, and if you are not, if you are not confessing Christ, if you are not confessing Christ before people as the only cure for the world's sin and brokenness, you need to check your fruit. Praise God. Praise God. Our eternity is secure in Christ. Amen. Praise, praise God that as we abide in Christ and his word, we can ask big. Amen. Now, as we go from this place, as you live your life this week, as you go to work, as you go out the door, as you go to school tomorrow, listen, let's, let's bring glory to God and let's praise God by proving, by proving the love of Christ to a world that is desperately in need of our fruit. Desperately in need of of the real biblical fruit of God's people. Y'all, y'all pray with me this morning.